0: Good morning. I want to say that it is great to be here this morning. I hope each of you are glad to be here this morning. I'm welcome to those who are joining us online. I'm glad that you're joining us online. We have a great opportunity this morning to worship and to open the word of God. And I do want to say that I'm glad to be back with you. Now, I was with you last week uh, with the baptisms, but whether you noticed or not, I hope some of you noticed, I was gone for a number of weeks prior to that the elders of the church gave me a study leave in order to prepare for this summer. And I want to let you in on a little sneak peek preview or peek of what's coming. This summer, we are going to be studying the book of Philippians together. So on March 2nd, we're going to begin Philippians and for 15 weeks through, March, or through August 8th, together we're going to be studying the book of Philippians. We have three more messages in the book of Revelation, which I'm looking forward to finishing and looking forward to finishing strongly. But then we're going to look at what God has to say to us in and through the book of Philippians. And I wanna let you know, he has a great message for us as followers of Jesus, a message of joy in this life, no matter what circumstance or circumstances we may be experiencing. I also wanna let you in on a little secret uh, Jim in his sermons references Avengers. I in my sermon, well, this isn't really a sermon, but I in my introductory comments are going to reference Willy Wonka. I have the golden ticket. Five weeks ago, I had COVID. So that's why I wasn't wearing a mask when we were doing the baptisms and I was able to do the baptisms. But five weeks ago, I had COVID. uh, So I just wanna let you know. So I am open to handshakes and hugs. Uh, If you are interested, uh, they are available from me. But I'm glad that we're together looking forward to what God is gonna say to us this morning through Revelation chapter 20. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that we have this opportunity to worship together, whether here in this place or through the gift of online viewing. Lord, we thank you that we get to open your word. And now I pray, Lord, as we see what you have to say to us, that we would hear what you have to say and that we would see you in it and that the message that you have for us this morning would transform our lives and make each one of us more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Do you ever ask yourself, what does the future hold for me? What does the future hold for me? You may be here this morning and you may be a senior in high school or maybe you're a college student and that very question may be going through your mind summer's coming up, and you're not quite sure what you're going to do this summer. Maybe you've been looking for an internship and it hasn't lined itself up yet. Or maybe you're thinking about what's going to happen next year after you graduate from high school, or what's going to happen for you in college next year, and you're, you're asking yourself, what does the future hold for me? Now, it's not only high school seniors or college students that ask themselves, What does the future hold for me? Many of us at various times in our lives ask ourselves, what does the future hold? What's ahead for me? We think about it in regards to our jobs, our families, our health, and we ask ourselves, what's ahead? What's the future hold for me? This morning, I'd like to start by telling you that God has a plan for your future. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has a plan for you. And his plan is for you to prosper and for you to have hope in him. That's God's ultimate plan for you. That you would prosper and have hope in him. But I have to be honest with you. His plan for you also includes hardships and difficulties. You see, every faithful follower of Jesus, every Christian will experience hardships and difficulties in this life just because they are a Christian. Now, I'm not talking about kind of the hassles of life. Everybody experiences the hassles of life Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, life brings hassles and problems to us. It may be that you lost your homework assignment. That's a general hassle. It may be that you were been embarrassed in front of a group of friends. Big hassle. It may be that your plumbing pipe backed up sewage into your basement. I speak with a little experience on that one. happened to us about two weeks ago. These are hassles or problems that we experience in life. But those are not the hardships and the difficulties that I'm talking about this morning. The hardships and the difficulties that I'm talking about this morning are the hardships and the difficulties that you face just because you are being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ see, if you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you may experience times of loneliness. You may be the only person in your class at school who is a follower of Jesus. You may be the only person at your workplace, at your job, who is a follower of Jesus. And it may be a lonely existence. I distinctly remember when I was in high school going to parties uh, that were happening at our high school. And I remember Friday nights going into parties where there were 10, 20, 40, 50 people in a house all crammed in, lots of people. But there were times in those scenarios where I felt completely alone because I wasn't doing what the people were doing and I probably wasn't even thinking what they were thinking about. I just had this sense of loneliness just because I was trying to faithfully follow Jesus. Jesus. Even today, I've gone to parties within the community in which I live, and there'll be a lot of people there, but I just, I just kind of feel different. Now, maybe that's just me, (laughs) but I also think it's because I'm trying to faithfully follow Jesus, and I just kind of think differently. You may experience that kind of loneliness as well at times. You also, as a faithful follower of Jesus, may experience betrayal or desertion or even ridicule. You may be set aside or left by your friends just because you're that crazy person who follows Jesus. Our secular culture is becoming more and more antagonistic towards Christianity, to say the least. And you may face oppression. Because you are trying to faithfully follow Jesus, you may even be canceled. Even our government seems to be moving forward with legislation that is likely to punish people who are faithfully trying to follow Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, you walk in the way of Jesus, and that means that you are going to experience hardships and difficulties in this life. But here's the good news because right about now I got you all pretty depressed and discouraged. But there is good news. Because there's a promise that's found in scripture. It's tucked into 2 Timothy. It's the second letter that the apostle Paul writes to Timothy and writes to us. And there's this promise tucked in, 2 Timothy 2 verse 12. And it says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we endure, it means if you persevere, if you last, if you hold on through the trials, through the hardships, and through the difficulties, if you endure, the promise is that you will reign with him. If you are here this morning and you are experiencing hardships and difficulties because you are trying to faithfully, Follow Jesus. If you endure, you will reign with him. As a follower of Jesus, your future is reigning with him. And what Paul is declaring is what any high school coach declares to their athlete. You can make it. You can do it. It is worth it. So now let's take a closer look at the hope that we find in this promise. Let's take a closer look at our futures as followers of Jesus. So turn to Revelation chapter 20. It's found on page 1003 in the Bible that is in the rack in front of you. Please grab one of those Bibles. It will be extremely helpful for you as we go through Revelation chapter 20. Now remember, think about where we've been. Last week we were in Revelation chapter 19 and we looked at the return of Jesus. Jesus returns to earth in power and in glory. And I don't know about you, but I love the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 19. Look what it says. It says he returns riding on a white horse, eyes like blazing fire, dressed in a robe, dripped in blood, a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, trampling the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Jesus is declaring that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is how he returns. And upon his return, a battle ensues. This battle is called the battle of Armageddon. On one side, you have Jesus in the armies of heaven, and on the other side, you have the beast, the false prophet, the kings of this earth, and their armies, And this battle is not even close. Remember last week, Jim referenced Avengers Endgame. And in Avengers Endgame, there's a battle between good and evil, and the battle goes back and forth and back and forth, and you're not quite sure who's going to win. The Battle of Armageddon is nothing like Avengers Endgame. As an aside, I'm just a bit curious. How many of you have never seen Avengers Endgame? Raise your hand. Okay, great, I don't feel alone, because I haven't seen it either. I like me some Willy Wonka, not some Avengers Endgame. But this battle is not even a close battle. Jesus speaks the word. Jesus speaks the word of victory, and the battle is over, it's done. And we read that the beast and the false prophet are captured and they're thrown into the lake of fire. And it says the rest were killed and it says the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. It's kind of nasty language, but it is powerful and vivid language. But here's the thing. The future doesn't end there. It continues to be revealed in Revelation chapter 20. And it's very important for us to understand that the Bible chapters were not in the original account. They're added later. So there's no break between Revelation 19 and Revelation 20. The story continues without a break. So let's continue the story. Beginning in verse one of Revelation 20. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Now immediately after the battle of Armageddon, An angel comes down from heaven. This angel has a key to the abyss. The abyss is also referred to as a bottomless pit. He has a key to the abyss and he has a strong, he has a large chain and he binds Satan in the chain. He wraps Satan up in the chain to make sure that he is absolutely secure. And then he takes Satan and he throws him into this bottomless pit and he secures him in the pit. He caps the pit and this keeps Satan secure. It keeps Satan removed from earth and all of the inhabitants of earth, no ability to deceive, no ability to engage any of the peoples of the earth. Satan is completely imprisoned in the abyss. Yeah, you can clap for that. But look what it says. It says that he's imprisoned for a period of time. How long? How long? Thousand years. He's imprisoned for a thousand years. See, in, this verse, in these verses, and you see that that phrase, a thousand years, occurs twice. And it occurs six times throughout Revelation 20. This is the primary place in the Bible where we get the concept of the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom is Jesus' thousand year reign over his messianic earthly kingdom. The term millennium is a word taken from the Latin that means thousand years. Now to be completely straightforward, Revelation 20 has long been the topic of disagreement among Bible-believing Christians. Committed followers of Jesus, did you hear me? Committed followers of Jesus have different views on the millennium. Calvary Church holds to a pre-millennial view of end times. I personally hold to a pre-millennial view of end times. But I do want to say, as we come to Revelation 20, I suggest that we come to Revelation 20 and this discussion of the millennium with a strong dose of humility, recognizing that other Bible-believing Christians hold differing views than we do. But with that in mind, I'd like to show you our chart. We have shown you this chart or this timeline a number of times. We're in the now. Does that make sense to all of you? Good. We are in the now the next thing that is happening in the eschatological timeline will be the rapture. And the rapture initiates a period of tribulation that includes a period of great tribulation. At the end of the great tribulation, we have the return of Jesus. And that return of Jesus, at that point in time, there is a battle and that battle is called Armageddon. And then we have the millennial kingdom. Then the final judgment. And then the new heavens and the new earth, which is also referred to as the eternal state, which we are going to look at next week. But do you see where we are this morning? Do you see what we're talking about this morning? We are in the now, but we are talking about the millennium. And the millennium starts with the binding of Satan. And again, he is bound for 1,000 years. He's no longer able to deceive or destroy. And as a result, there is an unparalleled time of peace and blessing as Jesus reigns over his earthly kingdom. There's a very beautiful description, a prophetic description of this millennial kingdom that's found in Isaiah 5:65, and it helps us understand what the millennial kingdom is going to be like. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach 100 will be considered accursed, They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord. They and their descendants with them before they call. I will answer while they are still speaking. I will hear the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain says the Lord. This is an un time of unparalleled peace and blessing but it's not only just peace and blessing. It's joy. It's comfort. It's prosperity. Did you hear the line about building houses and not having others live in it? About harvesting food and not having others eat it? That's a statement about the truth that there will be no more injustice, there'll be no more stealing, there'll be no more oppression. An unparalleled time of peace and joy, prosperity, and comfort, no injustice, no oppression, because Jesus himself will be reigning over this kingdom. But there's more. Remember how we started this morning? If you endure the hardships and the difficulties, you will reign with him Look where we began. Look at verse four of chapter 20. Look what John writes. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. Who do you think that refers to? Who? Us. Us, yes, Christians. It refers to Christians. Paul says, if you endure, you will reign with him. John has said something very similar earlier in the book of Revelation. Look what Jesus himself says in Revelation 3 verse 21. To the one who is victorious. He could have also said to the one who endures. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. There's also in Revelation chapter five, there's a song in, of worship that is sung to Jesus. And look at the words of a phrase of part of that song. You have made them, referring to Jesus, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And what does it say? And they will reign on earth As followers of Jesus Christ, as faithfully devoted Christians, you will endure hardships and difficulties in this life. But if you endure, you will reign with Jesus in his millennial kingdom. And the rest of verse four tells us that we are going to reign with the martyred Christians of the tribulation. Right now, I would like you to think about the difficulty or the hardship that you are experiencing just because you are faithfully trying to follow Jesus. What is it that you are experiencing right now? What hardship, what difficulty are you experiencing? because you wanna walk in the way of Jesus. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe because you're faithfully following Jesus, you just feel different and you feel alone. Maybe you face rejection, maybe betrayal, maybe even ridicule just because you're faithfully trying to follow Jesus. The promise for you this morning is that when you endure, did you hear what I said? Not if you endure, when you endure, the promise is, is that in the millennial kingdom, you will reign with Christ. Do you understand this promise? Do you see what Jesus himself is saying to you this morning? He's saying, I know that it's difficult. I know that it's hard. He's saying, but follow me. Follow me and someday, you will reign with me. And my friends, the promise is, is that it's all worth it. Can you imagine a place? Can you imagine a place of such blessing, of such peace, joy, comfort, prosperity? No more injustice. No more oppression, just peace and blessing sitting with Jesus and reigning. Can you imagine that place? But the millennial kingdom doesn't last forever. Look at verse 7. see that his millennial kingdom does not last forever. Now, at first, this might sound like a bad thing, but there's something better coming. We're going to talk about that next week. But first, let's look at verse seven. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. And you read this and you think to yourself, what? Like, what's going on here? Like, there's a thousand years of this kingdom of blessing and of peace, and then Satan's released from prison? Why is Satan released from prison? I've got to be honest with you, this is a tough one. Someone once asked the theologian and philosopher Francis Schaeffer this question. He asked them the why, why was Satan released? And Schaeffer responds, if you can tell me why he was released the first time, I'll tell you why he was released the second time. And Francis Schaeffer is a lot smarter than I am. But even though we're never fully going to understand this side of heaven, there must be a reason. Look back at verse three. Verse three says that, He must be set free for a short time. He must be set free for a short time. So I have a couple reasons for you to consider. There's multiple reasons out there. I think these are fairly good reasons for us to consider. First, this event proves, this event proves that Satan is unrepentant and incorrigible. It proves that Satan is never going to change his ways. Think of the history of Satan's engagement with God. Time after time, Satan is defeated by God in battle after battle. And in Revelation 20, Satan is bound. He's thrown into a bottomless pit for 1,000 years. And he comes back out, 1,000 years of punishment. He comes back out and he goes right back to his wicked ways. I've had timeouts that have lasted a lot shorter than 1,000 years, and they taught me the lesson. A 1,000 years, and he doesn't change. Second, this event proves man's inability to save himself. This event proves man has a sinful nature And we're going to learn a little bit more of that as we look in just a minute about how Satan recruits an army. But this event proves that there is no good in men or women. That everything we have that is good is through Jesus. But even no matter the reason, we see that right after his release, Satan goes back to his evil ways. Look at verse eight. We read that he deceives the nations. He gathers people from the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Now this is not a reference to any specific identity or group of people. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy in Ezekiel 38 that speaks of Gog and Magog as a people that are against God. And that's the idea that is referenced here in Revelation chapter 20. These are people who are against God. And look at it says that there's a lot of these people, like sand on the seashore. But that does raise the question, who are these people? Where is Satan going to find this army? With all the world seemingly perfect, no poverty, no disease, no oppression, no war, why would anyone choose to follow Satan? Well, first of all, you'll be happy to note that that does not include people who are Christians. It does not include you and me as followers of Jesus. We're not going to one day change our mind. It does not include people who will be raptured Christians are not going to change their mind. It does not include individuals who are martyred during the great tribulation. This group is likely made up. Did you hear my word, likely? This group is likely made up of descendants of Jewish people who entered the millennium well alive. They entered into the millennium alive. They had children Children had children, children had children, and you can just imagine how many children were born over a 1,000 years in almost a perfect environment where death does not come for a very long time. The descendants are the ones that formulate the army. Not all the descendants, but some of them will rebel against God. And in their rebellion, they align themselves with Satan against God and his people. Now look at this. This battle is referenced in verse nine. And it's often referred to as the battle of Gog and Magog. Now to be clear again, This is not the battle of Armageddon, but it is similar in one important respect. Like Armageddon, it is no real battle at all. Remember Avengers Endgame. Battle back and forth between good and evil and you're not sure who's going to win. That is not the case in the battle of Gog and Magog. The battle is over when God sends fire down from heaven and that fire devours the armies of Satan. Then after the armies of Satan are destroyed, we learn of Satan's future in verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. John makes it clear here that he is not retelling the story of the defeat of the beast and the false prophet at Armageddon. It says that the beast and the false prophet are already in the lake of fire. This is another conflict 1000 years later, but the result is still the same. Satan now joins the beast and the false prophet in the lake of fire and burning sulfur and Satan's opposition to God and God's ways will finally be over once and for all. Satan will never come out of the lake of fire. In fact, look what it says at the end of verse 10. He will be tormented and not just occasionally or temporarily, but day and night forever and ever Satan will never again challenge the rule of God or threaten God's people. Now, as we wrap up this section, I'd like you to look again at our timeline so we are clear what is coming in the future. We are in the now. The next thing that happens is the rapture and then there will be a tribulation and following the tribulation will be the battle of Armageddon. After the battle of Armageddon, Satan will be bound and there will be a millennial kingdom where Jesus reigns with who? Wow. There will be a millennial kingdom where Jesus reigns with who? Thank you. And then Satan will be released and then we will have the battle of Gog and Magog. And following the battle of Gog and Magog, there will be a final judgment. Now take your Bibles and let's look at that final judgment. Beginning in verse 11, we read a description of the last and final judgment of history. I want to note that this is an awesome and solemn event. It's a solemn event that should cause all followers of Jesus great consternation and distress. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. This past week, I struggled with how much to comment on these verses. I don't think this scene needs much comment at all. this is a somber scene. It's a horrible scene. Next to the crucifixion of Jesus, I think this may be the most horrible scene in all of the Bible. This is the great white throne judgment. This judgment is reserved for all of those who have rejected Jesus, for all of those who have not accepted his free gift of salvation, for all of those who have not declared that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is what is meant by verse 12 when it says the dead standing before the throne And notice that this group includes the great and the small. There is no money, no prestige, no fame, no ability that can keep one from this judgment. This judgment is no respecter of persons, This means that many of our neighbors, our friends, and even our family members will be at this judgment. All who have scoffed at God, all who have denied his rule, all who have rejected his lordship and even those who have just ignored him and by doing so have rejected Jesus. All of those will stand before Jesus at the great white throne where Jesus will condemn them to eternal judgment. Look at verse 15 again. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. what does the future hold for you? There are only two options, my friends. The first option is that you will spend an eternity with God. That because you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior because you have declared that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords because you have asked him to forgive you of your sins and make you right with God. You will spend an eternity with God. It means that no matter what hardships and difficulties you face, when you endure, you will reign with God with Jesus during his millennial kingdom. And for those of us who are believers, this should give us a strong and quiet confidence to live the life that Jesus has called us to. But my brothers and sisters, living the life that Jesus has called us to means that we need to recognize these words at the end of Revelation 20 regarding the great white throne judgment. It means that we are to be a people who demonstrate love and who speak the words of Jesus to those who are lost. This past week, I came across a quote from Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle and it struck me straight to my heart. Every time my thoughts wander to the future of unbelievers, I quickly brush them aside so they don't ruin my day. But there is a reality here that I can't ignore. Even as the conversations of people around me fill my ears, the truth of Scripture penetrates my heart with sobering statements about their destinies. We can talk about the fate of some hypothetical person, but as I look up and see their smiles, I have to ask myself if I really believe what I have written in this book. Hell is for real. Am I? My friends, I have been convicted. And I hope you have as well. The second answer to what your future holds is an eternity separated from God. And that's just a nice, Politically correct way of saying an eternity spent in the lake of fire in burning sulfur. An eternity of hell. But my friend, no one has to go to hell. No one has to go to hell. Every single person has the choice to choose Jesus. And if you are here this morning and you have not yet chosen Jesus, if you have not yet chosen to declare him the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, not only over all of his creation, but over your life, if you have not yet made that choice, I am begging you, I am begging you, today is the day. There are only two options for the future. One is an eternity with God and the other is an eternity without God. If you are listening to me, and you have not yet chosen Jesus, I am going to pray. And if you want to choose Jesus, if you want to declare that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords over you, repeat the words that I say, but only if you mean them. Heavenly Father, we have come to you this morning in worship and in praise. And we have also come to you this morning as a people in need of your mercy and your grace. So Lord, for the people who are here and have heard your words this morning, Lord, I pray that they would recognize that these are not my words that these are your words. These are your very words. And I pray, Lord, that they would be cut to the quick. So for them, Lord, I pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I am sorry. And I recognize that because of my brokenness and my sin, I am separated from you. And right now I choose, I choose to believe. I choose to believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on a cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sins. I choose to believe that you raised him from the dead with your resurrection power. I ask God that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and that you would give me your free gift of salvation. And I now declare that because of what Jesus did, I believe that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Heavenly Father, for those of us here who know Jesus, who have received him as Lord and savior. Lord, help us to live in the truth that one day we will reign with you. But Lord, more than that, forgive us. Forgive us for our apathy towards people all around us who are heading towards destruction. Lord, help us to be a people who are not so concerned with our own comfort, but are more concerned with our neighbor's comfort. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, and empower us with your spirit. Give us encouragement. Lord, help us to truly and fully live our lives for you. And Lord, no matter what our situation this morning, I pray that we will turn our eyes to Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series.